Hello and welcome, friends, family, and enemies alike, to Episode 5, Season 2 of Reading Cadence. I am your host, the displaced Wisconsinite, Phil Olson, and we continue through the $100 prize essay on the cultivation of the potato by D.A. Compton. And I must say, I have a thing for names. I love trying to craft, you know, some really interestingly sounding names and the like. And I was thinking, what would cause a man such as D.A. to go about his life and want to not be referred to by his first two names? Like, that... I want to be known, you know, like famous. So it must have been something that happened in the naming of this that caused him to not like it. And so I scoured the internet trying to figure out his name. Couldn't find it because apparently he's only popular for this $100 prize essay. Go figure. But uh, I was looking through popular baby boy names that start with D and A from around that time period. The Social Security log only went back to 1880, and I'm guessing this guy was born probably like in the 1830s, 1840s um, to this point. So in any case, names from the 1880s that were popular that I would say, yeah, I would probably want to uh, abbreviate my my name just to initials, would be I found for D, I found Dewey as a very popular name and then I found Alfred which I feel like if my name was Dewey Alfred Compton yikes so yeah I would definitely go by D.A. Compton I mean it would be like me going by P.A. Olson like I I don't know that doesn't have quite as nice of a ring to it either so anyway um, to transition into the focus of his essay this week, we are going to be reading about the dreaded potato rot, okay? This disease for spuds was f- discovered in the year 1845. I would equate it to a massive pandemic that... Um, it only infected potatoes. So maybe an endemic? I don't know. Um, but we are going to look at this terrible endemic that infected the tater. And we are going to discover also some remedies and how perhaps we could prevent such rot from occurring in our potato farms, since I know you guys have already started cultivating your soil for next spring. So, let us begin. The potato rot, its cause. The year 1845 will ever be memorable by its giving birth to a disease which threatened the entire destruction of the potato crop and which caused suffering and pecuniary ruin to an incredible extent throughout Europe. The potato, at the time of the appearance of the potato disease, 
was almost the sole dependence of the common people of Ireland for food. That overpopulated country experienced more actual suffering in consequence of the potato disease than has any other from the same cause. Although this disease has never in this country prevailed to the same ruinous extent that it has in some others, yet we are yearly reminded of its existence, and in some seasons and localities, its destructive effects are seriously apparent. The final, or culminating cause of the disease, known as the potato rot, is Botrytis, Paranospora infestans. This may be induced by many and various predisposing causes, such as feebleness of constitution of the variety planted, rendering them an easy prey to the disease. By planting on low, moist land, or on land highly enriched by nitrogenous manures, causing a morbid growth which invites the disease. Also by insects or their larvae, like worms, puncturing or eating off the leaves or vines. But by far the most widespread and most common cause of the disease is sudden changes of the atmospheric temperature, particularly when accompanied by rain. Drought, though quite protracted and severe, unless accompanied by strong drying winds and followed by sudden and great reduction of temperature, seldom affects the potato seriously. It is not uncommon in the northern states during the months of August and September for strong westerly winds to prevail for many days in succession. These winds come from the great American desert, are almost wholly devoid of moisture, and their aridity is often such that vegetation withers before them as at the touch of fire. Evaporation is increased in a prodigiously rapid ratio with the velocity of wind. The effects of the excessive exhalation from the leaves of plants exposed to the sweep of such drying winds are at once seriously apparent. When these winds finally cease, the atmosphere has a low relative humidity. Not enough moisture remains in the air to prevent radiation. The heat absorbed by the earth through the day is, during the bright, cloudless night, rapidly radiated and lost in space. And a reduction in temperature of 20 to 30 degrees is the consequence. In the first place, the potato vines suffer by excessive exhalation. In the second, by sudden reduction of temperature. And, though not frozen, their functions are much deranged and their vitality greatly enfeebled. To use a common expression, the plant has caught a violent cold that has settled on the lungs. The leaves, which are the lungs of plants, now fail to perform their functions properly. The points of many of the leaves turn brown, curl up, and die. The ascending sap, not being fully elaborated by the diseased leaves, oozes out through the skin of the stalk in a thick, viscous state, and the plant 
to all appearance, is in a state of consumption. At this stage, the ever-present minute spores of the Botrytis infestans eagerly pounce on the sickly plant, fastening themselves on its most diseased parts. The Botrytis infestans is a cryptogamous plant and is included in the Mucidinius family, or molds. It is a vegetable parasite preying upon the living potato plant like lice or other animal parasites among the animal species, like worms. At first, this mold forms webby, creepy filaments known in botanical language as mycelium. These root-like fibers then branch out, sending out straight or decumbent articulated stems. These bead-like joints fill up successively with seeds or spores which are discharged at the proper time to multiply the species. Under favorable conditions of warmth and moisture, the mycelium spreads very rapidly. Spores are soon formed and matured to be carried to plants not yet infected. Rains also wash the seminal dust down the plant causing it to fasten and grow on the vine near the ground. The roots of the parasite penetrate and split up the stalk even to the medullary canal. These roots exude a poisonous substance which is carried by the elaborated descending sap down to the tubers, and as the largest tubers require the largest amount of elaborated sap for their development, they will consequently receive the greatest quantity of the vitiating principle and will, on digging, be found a mass of rottenness when the smaller ones are often but slightly affected. The Botrytis infestans cannot gain a lodgment on vines that are truly healthy and vigorous, high authority to the contrary notwithstanding. Healthy varieties, growing in a sheltered situation on dry, new soil, to which no nitrogenous manures have been applied, cannot be infected, though brushed with other vines covered with the fungus. Different varieties, and sometimes different members of the same variety, are not always alike affected by the disease, though growing in the same hill. As will be noticed, the potato disease is rather an effect than a cause, and appears to have been designed to prevent members enfeebled by accident or otherwise from propagating their species by putting such members out of existence. Ozone, supposed to be a peculiar form of oxygen, is exhaled from every part of the green surface of plants in health and effectually repels the attacks of mildew. But it is found that when the atmosphere is very dry, or, on the other hand, very humid, plants cease to evolve ozone and are therefore unprotected. Winds from the ocean are strongly ozonic, and it is ascertained that the plants growing on soil to which salt has been applied evolve more ozone than others. 
Hence, the benefit derived from the use of salt on potato lambs. The black knot, another species of fungus that attacks the branches of the plum and morello cherry, operates very similarly to the potato mildew. The roots of the parasite penetrate and split up the cellular tissue of the branch on which it fastens, and if the limb be not promptly amputated, the descending sap carries the deleterious principle through the whole system. In the following year, the disease appears in a greatly aggravated form in every part of the whole tree. The remedy in this case is prompt amputation of the part diseased on its first appearance and a judicious application of salt to the soil. Common salt, to a certain extent, is as beneficial to some plants as to animals, and every intelligent farmer knows that if salt be withheld from the bovine genus for any considerable length of time, the general health droops and parasites are sure to abound. The object of nature in bringing into existence the large family of mildews, each member of which is a perfect plant in its way, and is capable of performing its functions as the oak of the forest, was undoubtedly to prevent propagation from sickly stalk, and by the decomposition of feeble plants to make room and enrich the soil for the better development of healthier plants. But it by no means follows that, because a plant is attacked by mildew, it must necessarily be left to die, any more than it follows that, because an animal is infested with vermin, it should be let alone to be eaten up by them. Remedy for the Potato Rot In treating for the potato rot, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. For when leaves or vines are once dead, they ever remain so. All that can be done for potatoes infested is to stop the mildew from spreading by destroying it where it is and by strengthening those things which remain. The writer was led to the adoption of the remedy proposed by experiments made upon fruits. Everyone who has an apple or pear orchard must have observed that mildew of fruit supervenes after some sudden change of temperature, especially when accompanied by rain. Spots of mildew invariably form on the young fruit immediately after a cold night when the thermometer has indicated a change of 20 to 25 degrees. This growth of mildew takes place when the apples are of various sizes, from the earliest formation to the size of large marbles. These fungus growths appear as dark-colored spots, which arrest the growth of the apple immediately beneath, causing it to become distorted, while the expansion and contraction bring on diseased action which results in the cracking and general scabbiness of the fruit. Knowing that dry rot, Merulius lacrimans shum, another species of fungus, was remedied by an application of sulfuric acid, I thought it might possibly destroy the fruit mildew. An application of plaster 
gypsum, which is composed of lime and sulfuric acid, was made with the happiest results. It was found that an apple dusted with ground plaster at its first formation remained free from mildew and came to maturity, while apples growing by it, but not so treated, became scabby and worthless. It was also ascertained that a thorough application of plaster destroyed the mildew after it had formed, and that such fruit came to maturity. On the potato mildew, so far as the writer's experience extends, plaster, if applied early, is a perfect prevention, and if not delayed too long after the disease appears, is a certain remedy. The vines should be watched closely, and on the first appearance of the disease, plaster should be applied. Not merely sowing it broadcast, but dashing it over and under the vines, bringing it in contact with the stalks, using a handful to three or four hills. Plaster for this purpose should be very dry and powdery, and should be applied when the air is still. One application is seldom sufficient. It should be renewed as often as circumstances require. Examine the vines about three days after a cold night, or about the same length of time after a heavy rain. If the leaves begin to curl and wither, apply plaster at once, and, in short, whenever the vines show any signs of drooping, be the cause of bites of insects, excessive aridity, or excessive humidity of the atmosphere, or a sudden change of temperature, drooping from any cause whatever, indicates the approach of mildew, which should be promptly met with an application of plaster. As before stated, plaster the vines as soon as they are up. Again, after the last plowing and hoeing. After that, one, two, or three times, as circumstances indicate. By this method, the vines are kept of a bright, lively green, and the tubers are kept swelling until growth is stopped by frost. Another point gained is, potatoes so grown are so sound and free from disease as to be easily kept for spring market without loss by rot. Whether the surprising effects of plaster on the potato mildew is attributable to the sulfuric acid, to the lime, or to its simply being a dust, has not been determined. It is well known that the fruits of a vineyard or orchard in close proximity to a dusty and much frequented highway are remarkably free from mildew, which can only be due to dust settling on the trees and fruit. But in the case of plaster, the writer is inclined to believe its efficacy is mainly due to the sulfuric acid, probably assisted by the lime in a state of dust. Be this as it may, it matters not. The result is all that can be desired. The remedy is easily applied, costs but a trifle, and a single season's trial is all that is needed to convince the most skeptical grower of its merits. End of the section on Potato Rot. What? A dismal picture has been laid out for us on the negative effects of potato rot and their subset family dry rot 
in regards to the healthy production of our potato farms that we are preparing right now to grow for next spring. I think it was no coincidence, no accident, that in a few days we will be celebrating our fellow potato-loving Irish brethren on March 17th. But I will say this is a most pitiful acknowledgement of this people group. But it is a great reminder to us all, a fair warning, that we have taken much from the rich culture of the Irish in how to prevent potato rot from infecting our own potato farms. And I'm very grateful for that fact. So I just wanted to put that aside in because, you know, it is worthy of acknowledgement. Now, as we continue moving forward, um, there are some important points to be had here. The purpose of this mildew, as Dewey Alfred believes, was in, in effect to weed out the weaker potatoes and let them die off so that stronger potatoes could be supplied in the future. But I love this sentence, friends and enemies. I love this sentence. It is the final sentence of his section on the cause of potato rot, where he states, But it is by no means follows that, because a plant is attacked by mildew, it must necessarily be left to die. Hmm? Any more than it follows that, because an animal is infested with vermin, it should be let alone to be eaten up by them. Wow! Some very practical applications in all facets and areas of life, okay? And I think, you know, his, his commitment to this, his dedication, that he is a student of the potato-growing community is essential to how well this essay was written, okay? Just, just marvelous work. You know, we should be invested and actively caring for our potatoes all throughout their growing process, looking for signs of mildew and rot in them, and then promptly amputating those things off before they become very destructive, like taking preventative measures in any area of our lives. Very important. You can't just sit there, plant the seed, and expect everything to just grow all nice and dandy. There will be issues that will arise. But thanks to our fellow Irish brethren, we have a solution. Now, I will finally transition to his remedy, which I thought was very smartly uh, brought about through his experimentation. Now, we're going to get to the experimentation of different potatoes next week. But he drew some much-needed wisdom from apple and pear orchards, which I found it kind of odd that he naturally assumed we all, you know, had an apple or pear orchard. Maybe that's a Pennsylvania thing. I don't know. Ask your fellow Pennsylvanian about that later. But it is important that he drew upon the wisdom found in the treatment of mildew on these fruits and applied a similar strategy to potatoes. I mean, this is a great teaching moment, and he is truly a great professor. 
I would want to be professored by D. Alfred Compton. Great man. Um, and sulfuric acid is applied apparently to apples and pears that produce, start producing mildew. But we should be dusting and applying plaster, which is a combination of lime and sulfuric acid to our potatoes frequently watching out looking out for signs of disease and and also allowing it to be um, quite succulent for its final harvest so really amazing the lengths this man takes to help us produce the finest tubers in existence um yes i've been floored by this man's commitment to the hustle of potato growing and i hope you are too because i am very excited for our experimentation into different potatoes that i never knew actually existed uh great man great insights and wisdom that can be learned so to sign off thank you all so much for listening to yet another episode of reading cadence I am your host of the Displaced Wisconsinite, P.A. Olson. And, as they say in showbiz, that's all he wrote. For now.